This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Good morning and welcome to Radiotherapy. And we are here. Boy, have we got a show this morning. Uh, it's jam-packed. And uh, I've got the lovely, the wonderful, the eloquent and the elegant... Anabolics with me, and uh, I do always. love you. I do love you on a Sunday morning. It's just good for the soul to have you, you know, introduce me. <laughs> oh, loves me on a Sunday morning. I think you better speak to Lady McZiff about that. And uh, we've got uh, we've got uh, Ellen Jacobson here, who's uh, the manager of Homey, and uh, we're going to be talking a bit about homelessness. And uh, we've also got uh, Joseph Sherman, who's a GP, but also a very talented actor. He's been uh, on the show before, and he's gone. He's involved in a Chekhov play uh, locally here in Brunswick, uh, Three Sisters, and he's going to be telling us a little bit about that. So we're going to be talking about homelessness. We're also going to be talking about about the Trump phenomenon, and uh, uh, in particular about toxic leadership. Um, we're going to have a little bit of music, we're going to have some ketchup, and uh, we're going to try and entertain you for the next hour. So put the kettle on, sit back. It's pouring outside, it's freezing cold, the weather is awful. We're right in the middle of an October in Melbourne. Um, it sort of reminds me of the Scottish Highlands throughout the entire <laughs> year. And uh, so uh, uh, strap yourselves in for uh, an exciting hour. Triple R, not for everyone, for anyone. Now, anabolics. Hello. You got in touch with me during the week and you told me about this show on television, Man Up. I mean, particularly in uh, in view of the theme that we've been running now for quite some time, which is about creating better men. And uh, so I sat down and uh, I missed episode one, but I watched episode two and uh, was, I found it really compelling. Uh, uh, it did. I thought it was quite interesting too. It's, it's actually uh, evoked quite a few opinions on both sides, actually. Some people have found it a bit... Um, Perturbing. Some people thought it was brilliant. I, I feel it was really interesting, and I'm and I'm so happy that it's on. Just from the point of view of somebody's talking about this topic, I don't. I think it's a start, and it's a start by a man who's trying to ask questions that are good questions. Um, if it's imperfect, then I'm okay with that because I think it was start quite quite revealing on a number of levels about some very interesting aspects of masculinity. We've been talking about making good men for the last three years on this show, and uh, I'm I'm really happy that men are starting to ask questions about masculinity and what it means to be a man in the current age, especially when we have this awful statistic of um, uh, suicide, which is, you know, four times more common in men than women, and we still, we don't talk about, we don't talk about maleness as a contributing factor. We very rarely talk about it. And this this uh, chap is talking about it, which I think is terrific. And I think you saw the second part, which had the interview with a group of young school guys who, did you, you like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, 15-year-old schoolboys uh, in a group with a facilitator talking talking about feelings, which uh, is often something that um, isn't really at the forefront of the minds of 15-year-old boys, talking about feelings. is a very difficult thing to do, and it was uh, he was a superb facilitator, the way yes. that he managed to encourage them to open up. And uh, essentially, I mean, what's a really interesting thing, and you often find this, is you just need one person mm. to be bold enough to take that first step mm. and once that person takes that first step things can then really you, you can generate 
um, a sense of feeling and connection and seeing a group of young boys who had, would probably have never expressed feelings um, uh, seeing them in tears in a group mm. and actually being supportive of each other was quite extraordinary uh, well yeah. I think there's probably no group in the world more susceptible to peer pressure than young males um, I, th- I feel pretty strong about that and you can use that for good and evil and he was t- turning it on its head and saying let's you know the codes here are so strong amongst you guys to be tough and to be um, blokey and to be um, uh, dismissive of feelings and I'm going to turn that around and say now use that peer pressure and actually start to talk to each other about thing, that other, other things that matter. And you said that feelings aren't on the, on the fore, forebrain of young males. I, I know what you mean by that, but actually I'm not sure that that's true because... Well, well the, the, words, the words to express those feelings sure. Okay, are, sure. are, are, are not there and, the, and uh, they're not enculturated to, it, to express ex- those I, feelings. I and, and completely yet, agree. And, and yet I, I would venture to say that, you know, having um, half a century ago, whatever, some time ago, being a young male myself, um, I remember that, mm. uh, that uh, there were an enormous amount of feelings, but uh, mm. I, who, who knows who to talk to? Who knows where's a safe place to, ex- to start expressing those sort of feelings? And, and, all the, and all the codes that say that you will be a weaker man, you will be looked down on. This is not how to be a man. This is, this is something that's womanly and uh, maybe gay or, you know, all the words mm. that young... You can, I, I uh, was walking down the street in um, uh, Hawthorne the other day shopping and, I, and I, a group of young males went past me, schoolboys young, and there was a, they must have just come out of school and they were, I was sort of tired of them walking up the street. Well in probably I went past four different groups of boys and in that 40 second period I heard two groups um, taking the piss out of one of their members about being gay, two of them, mm-hmm. about something, you know, you, and I, just, just walking through a group of young males who were just talking to each other. These codes are huge and they're powerful and they're toxic. They're just toxic. All right, well, uh, I think we might uh, use that as, uh, as a segue then to uh, talking a little bit about, uh, about homelessness. And uh, we've got Ellen Jacobson here, who's the manager of Homey. And uh, welcome, Ellen. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you in, Ellen. We've, um, we've been following Homie for about the last 18 months, actually. As people who listen to the show will know, they're a fantastic organisation. They're friends of our show. Uh, and um, uh, last time we were in, we were hearing about the social enterprise side of the store. And now, t- to start with, before we go into that, perhaps you could just tell us a little about what is the Homie shop? Tell, tell us about what it is. Yeah, sure. Um, so... Uh, the homie store, we're a social enterprise. So we're a retail store and 100% of our profits go back into the community to provide services for people in Melbourne who are experiencing homelessness. And whereabouts are you? If they want to... uh, we're in Fitzroy on the corner of Johnston and Brunswick Street. Okay, it's a beautiful shop, I have to say. It's yeah, gorgeous, it's lovely. So You're in a new place. You've <laughs> been the centre in the city, didn't you? You've moved now to... Yeah, um, so we moved into Fitzroy a few months ago and I think uh, we're in the right area. For. Feels good. Yeah, it feels like a good fit. So, how does the social enterprise stuff of your, of the home um, organisation? How does that work? Yeah, so where it works from people just shopping in our store. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely a community effort. We've kind of provided an easy way for people to be charitable, and people have been really responsive. So people come in and buy clothes from the store and what happens to the, um, the, the profits that come from that? Yeah, so all the profits that we make, well, we do two different things. The first thing that we do is we have a VIP day once a month. So 
we connect with a homelessness service and we invite up to 30 of their clients into the store to have a really dignified receiving experience. So five items of clothing each for free and we do haircuts and beauty services and we have coffee and morning tea and we hang out and talk and connect and have a really good time. Um, the other thing that we do is training and employment. So we have young people who are experiencing homelessness who work in the store. So they're being trained in retail and paid and supported by Homie. Now, I've met one of those lovely people. Do you want to tell us about her experience? Because she's, she's just a wonderful um, person who's gone through your program. Yeah, hasn't Hayley. Hayley. Yeah. She's an incredible young woman. Um, Hayley... We met Hayley um, at a VIP day. She came in as a client of um, Shark and she started volunteering um, in the store and, she, you know, she's had such a, such a rough past. Um, she's gone through a lot and she's started volunteering for Homie. Um, we employed her. She's been working casually for us and kind of through that process, she's now done her Diploma of Community Services and is giving back, um, trying to support young people who've been in the situation that she was in as well. So she was homeless, wasn't she? She was homeless, yeah. She was homeless. Um, She had a history of domestic violence, sexual abuse, drug abuse, like awful things. Um, And yeah, she's come out the other side um, through support and opportunity. So that's what we're trying to do for more young people and try and help people on a pathway out of homelessness. Now, that, when you say you're trying to do more of that, you've got a fantastic thing happening at the minute called the Empower Hour. What's that all about? Yeah, so we've done a um, bit of a social media campaign to raise money for our Pathway Project. So the Empower Hour is um, trying to get people to acknowledge um, the privilege of their situation um and we've got people taking a selfie at work um so they've put up a photo of themselves in their workplace and they're talking about the statistics of youth homelessness and they're donating one hour of their pay to homie to the pathways project and the pathways project just sounds uh, fantastic it's a co- it's a collaboration between three organizations isn't it and a lot of people will know uh, one of the organizations is ladder which is an afl organization isn't yeah it? so ladder provides um housing and support to young people experiencing homelessness so we've teamed up with ladder and cotton on so ladder is going to provide housing for six young melburnians who are experiencing homelessness homie is going to provide training and then cotton on is going to provide employment so it's li- you're literally going to take a group of specifically uh, specific young people who are currently experiencing homelessness, yes. supported by Ladder, and they're going to get some uh, employment training, retail training? Yeah, yeah so they're going to be um, housed by Ladder, and then they're going to do retail training with Homie. So they're going to do um, a training program with us. They're going to get their Certificate 3 in retail. They're going to get experience working in the shop. They're going to be um, studying... And then after they've graduated from our training program with Homie, they're going to, they've guaranteed six months part-time employment with Cotton On. That's, that's brilliant. Yeah, it's the first program of its kind. It's meaningful, long-term impact. 
Now, I've actually um, been at home in one of your VIP days. They're fantastic things to be part of. I've seen it. And, and what surprised me um, and what su- might surprise a lot of people is how many young people are, are counted in the in the homeless statistics. How many – are there a lot of young people homeless in Victoria as we speak? Is that a big part of the group? It is. It is. More than half of um, – <coughs> people experiencing homelessness in Australia are youth. More than half. More than half, yeah. And um, most of those people left school before year 10 um, and 57% are destined for long-term unemployment. So it's really important to um, break that cycle of intergenerational poverty Mm -hmm. um, by supporting those young people, giving them opportunities to um, kind of work out of their situation and be self self sufficient. This is giving a hand up, not a hand out, as, as you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, uh, I don't know whether you guys have had any. Uh, uh, do you remember we had uh, the ombudsman in last year? Yeah, yeah. And uh, we we're talking about we we're looking at uh, statistics about uh, in- incarceration. Then a lot of these groups uh, overlap. She was talking about the, the backgrounds of people who come in, end up in jail, and it's it's very very uh, similar kind of groups that we're you know. The statistics around both groups are very similar around homelessness and incarceration. People who had come from disturbed backgrounds have limited uh, educational yeah. grounding. Uh, they they often have young early contact with drug and alcohol, and um, you know this is a, this is a way of um, nipping this in the bud, if you like, somehow at some point. Well, yeah. is, it, is it is it nipping in the? I mean, Maybe, there, there's often yes. this sort. I mean. Homelessness and incarceration are frequently the end point of so much that has gone wrong yes. beforehand. And, uh, um, you know, we do hear these stories of dysfunctional families, of uh, intergenerational poverty, of substance abuse, of learning difficulties at school, uh, of uh, e- educational disadvantage. And the end point is is homelessness or incarceration and uh, it's i mean it's wonderful to to hear about uh, um, uh, an enterprise such as homey and uh, doing the things that can be done there but it, it it seems to me as though it very much needs to be linked in in some sort of way with uh, with interventions uh, earlier down the track to try to, to help and is that is that happening Ellen? well we're talking about youth um aged 18 to 24, 25. So the reasons why these kids are experiencing homelessness is domestic and family violence and it is structural. It's poverty and social inequality. So they're down, like alcohol, uh, substance abuse usually comes later on down the track f- for them because when they become homeless, then they're experiencing like they're kind of exposed, experience, exposed to these kinds of things. Yeah. So it really is um, kind of education and training and employment for these kids who are victims of circumstance in a lot of in a lot of ways. Um, that's kind of what's going to change their situation. Mm. So, well, that, 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 that's actually really interesting because often, um, certainly in the mental health sphere, where when when people who present with a, a significant psychiatric condition who also happen to be homeless, there is this 
this conglomeration of uh, this this aggregation of social difficulties that have occurred, and and there's very frequently a substance abuse component which starts uh, early on, um, be, be, perhaps because there's a lack of uh, of appropriate modelling. There isn't that family structure, the support that's uh, yeah, you know. exactly. From um, the experience that I've had speaking with people um, who are experiencing homelessness a lot of the time the substance abuse has come much later on um, in their situation as a way of coping and dealing with things that have happened in their youth um, and they just haven't had the support or the mental health support um, to deal with it in a different way. It's, I think that's a very important point and I think that uh, you know, within, within the community there's often this um, rather jaundiced negative attitude towards substance abuse but I think it, it really needs to be understood exactly. as a means of self-medicating that exactly. people people don't have other resources to be able to deal with their distress and so they're relying on uh, on on substances which make them feel better and I, I can see Joseph who's a GP and who works in this area who is 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 champing at the bit to have a word here well I mean I uh, yeah, thank you thank you very much Dr. McZeef I, I yes I wouldn't like to have a word about is uh, it just that it, it strikes me that um, young people who, who who need to resort to self-medicating to substance abuse and who and who find themselves in a situation of homelessness really for me I, I believe it's a symptom of a societal malaise uh, that that is actually the, the 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 end point if you like of how our society is, is structured so from the point of view of well where are the priorities of, of a society I mean I believe the priorities of a society should be that every child uh, early on should get the, the the appropriate support and if it's not available in the family through intergenerational uh, disadvantage and trauma then the government and our society and community should make sure that these children get the appropriate support that's lacking so that they have the the resilience and you know and and the and, and the power to, to you know to continue through a difficult situation but if the community is not focused on that well then we will see you know the you know these these symptoms of of our malaise and so when we see a a, a homeless young person on the street who's 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 uh, opiate dependent then that is not it's not just the young person who is unwell it's our society who's unwell and every single person as you say every single person who ends up homeless has got there by a, a particular idiosyncratic and unique route generally speaking there are a lot of common themes but each person has got their own story to tell, which and it can be anybody. Um, uh, it can be people who started off even in very good circumstances, who've had some terrible thing happen to them or their family, and they've fallen on hard times, literally, and have had uh, a, a massive descent from you know where the place they thought they were going to be. It's, it's true. It's true. That can happen um, too. There are major descents, but 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 I think that 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 the the majority of people that I see certainly at, at Access Health Service, uh, you know, who, you know, who are young, come from sure. from from trauma intergenerational trauma sure. exactly i was just going to say um i think there's a massive misconception surrounding homelessness where um there's a very very small majority of people who are experiencing homelessness are actually rough sleepers on the street who you see walking around in the city um and that's the kind of idea that people have of what a homeless person is um and it's i think it's a misrepresentation there's this stigma of drugs and alcohol um and in so many cases, it's so many other reasons. Um, so I think, yeah, breaking down that stereotype is really important for kind of moving forward and creating pathways 
out of homelessness. And have you, with the people, young people that you've met, have you seen them really keen to try new things and to try and, you know, follow employment to paths? Have you, have you, do you get a sense that there's a lot of people really keen to, take, for example, take on the Pathways project if it gets up? Absolutely. Um, the young people that I've met at our VIP days have been so enthusiastic and they're just kids who've had a rough time. Um, they really... They're keen to be there. They really want to learn and they're enthusiastic about their future. They're just in supported housing um, and they're trying to, you know, set themselves up for the future. And with the, the latter organisation is providing some of that housing for your, your group in the Pathways Project, don't they? That's an AFL organisation that people, uh, some of, our, some of our, um, uh, the, uh, the footballers who participate in uh, AFL games, senior people, they actually contribute money to support the ladder project. I don't know whether you knew that with your background AFL, McZiff, but apparently there's cash that goes in every week. As a week. former champion player myself, <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> so it's, 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 it's a great... There's only two things that stop me from being a successful player. Right leg and your left leg? No? Well, no, 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 no. no. Well, the main one was a lack of ability, but, <laughs> but um, uh, no, I, no I, I actually wasn't familiar with this. What, what were your two things, sorry? Well, I'm not, the, the other one is is uh, is minor. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so it's 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 a it's a great it's a great um, organisation that that has a lot of support from people. So this is you know it touches a lot of people. People have been moved, um, I think, by the organisation and want to help. So the Empower Hour you mentioned. This has been anti-poverty week in, in um, across Australia, actually. Yeah. Uh, so it's a great week to address some of these concerns we talked about, about, you know, income inequality. How can people help to get... We, you need $100,000 to get this off the ground. We do. Right? <laughs> and there's a, crowd, there's a crowdsourcing fundraising thing out at the minute? Yeah, so um, we're doing the Empower Hour. So the best way to support the Pathways Project is to... Get around our Empower Hour on Facebook and Instagram. Um, we've had a really, really impressive response. Um, there's been some really inspiring um, posts from young people who are acknowledging their privilege. Um, they're being thankful for their position in society. Um, they're being proud of their their work and their situation and they're trying to share around um, a bit of their resources and donating one hour of their wage um, to a, to our Pathways project, so you can find that on our on our Facebook Homey Facebook page. The, the Homey the Homey shop is that the Homey store? They find that the Facebook is under the Homey store, is it? It's um, Homey, just Homey, H O M I E. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and also, you could come into the store and um, support us by buying a Homey t shirt. It's an easy way to be charitable because you get something good and you're doing something good at the same time. Brilliant. Well, that's that's wonderful. Thank you very much, Ellen. And uh, so, please get onto that Facebook site and uh, um, think about the Empower Hour. You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio Three Triple R in Melbourne, Australia. Now, now we've very. Um, privileged to have Joseph Sherman in here with us uh, this morning. And Joseph is a is a GP, and he's also now this is a this is a um, an important uh, thing that I really like. You know, doctors are not just doctors. You know, there are doctors who have got lots and lots of other talents. There are doctors who are 
great sports people like I wished to be. There are <laughs> doctors who are who are singers, who are musicians, who are playwrights, who are actors and uh, authors, all sorts of things. And often we hide our uh, our other talents under uh, uh, under a bushel. But uh, Joseph is actually an actor, and uh, he's involved in an upcoming Chekhov play. Anton Chekhov, a famous Russian playwright and doctor, uh, I might add, uh, Three Sisters. Welcome, Joseph. Thank you very much, Dr. Mugziv. Yes, uh, Chekhov was actually a practicing doctor all the way up to his very un- unfortunate early death in his early 40s, but he always practiced medicine up until the time he developed uh, tuberculosis and, and kept writing uh, from his... Um, Sort of summer retreat in the in the Crimean. So anyway, but that's 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 by the by. But um, yeah, certainly he was an amazing person, and certainly to my to my eye, and uh, is that I, I think you know he's one of the greats in the sort of theatre, you know, Western theatre canon. Uh, even though he only wrote, I mean, four well-known plays and a few others, he was mainly a short story. Writer, in fact, that's that's where his genius can can really be seen in his hundreds and hundreds of short stories that he wrote, actually based on observations that he had as you know being the practicing doctor that he was, a country doctor, uh, and so and then uh, it was Stanislavski who encouraged him to write a couple of plays for the Moscow Art Theatre, and so uh, it was in 1903 that the Three Sisters first uh, premiered. Now, it's uh, three sisters. I mean, I imagine. Can I have? Can I just keep talking? Or do please you go ahead. Tell us. Yeah. Well, 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 tell us about three sisters. Tell us about the play, and uh, and then we'll find out um, where it's actually on and uh, and how long it's running for. Okay. Well, three sisters uh, is a is a gem. Is a masterpiece of 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 theater art uh, because it's kind of it's sort of it's, it's well it's called three sisters. It's not kind of sort of anything. It's th- it's called three sisters, but it's it's uh, the actual story is that these three sisters find themselves marooned in the provincial town, I don't know, the size of Geelong, 100,000 people, and they dream, or two of them dream of going to Moscow, and uh, they never get there. Uh, and so that's, that's the kind of the thumbnail sketch of the story. But but the actual canvas upon which this story is painted is is, is epic, uh, which um, takes in you know uh, the magnitude of war and peace, for example. But also, Chekhov is really, into my eye, riffing on 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 a mythical fairy tale that was written by by Alexander Pushkin, you know, you know who was who uh, you know a pillar of Russian society and 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 poetry. And so he, he he riffs on fairy tales, but also on a well-known opera, Eugene Onegin, hmm. that Pushkin wrote. But he completely deconstructs it and, and places it into this provincial town where these three sisters find themselves who are over-educated, uh, as far as they're concerned, by their father, who's a, who's a general and who, who died the, the previous year. And then we see, and this is a, a town that has an army base, and so these officers come, and uh, uh, they interact with this general's family, um, and we see we see uh, the youngest 
sister, whose name is Irina, uh, who would probably be the age of Ellen, I think, and who, 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 who who's, who's quite youthful. Who's quite Thank youthful. You. Thank you. Thank and you. Uh, and I think that the thing is is that the play is about it's about love. It's about unfulfilled dreams. It's about uh, uh, the past, youth, the future. And about society, and uh, and I think the, the the very major through line there is what what do we do to create a better society? And I think that if Chekhov was alive today, he would be reassured that that young people like Ellen were in the room because uh, the 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 youngest uh, daughter Irina uh, never manages to do anything, even though she wants to work. You know, there's a, there's a famous uh, sort of monologue. She says that she realizes when she's 20 that that the meaning of life. She knows everything. The meaning of life is to work, and she wishes she was a uh, a common uh, a, 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 a um, an ox rather than a young lady who who wakes up at eight and stays in bed till ten drinking coffee and then spends two hours getting dressed. She realizes she wants to work, but she's incapable of doing it, and and she is is unable to leave her, her situation. Whereas uh, the whole thrust of the play is what 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 do we do in order to to move on to create a better society a wonderful society, and so unfortunately there's no character like Ellen in this play, and uh, and, and the whole reason for the play is a, is like it's a lament for the absence of characters like like Ellen and and the sort of things that Ellen's doing. Is that because of the uh, role of women in society at that stage? That, does that come into the discussion in Absolutely. the Absolutely. So, I mean, Chekhov was way ahead of his time in recognising that really that there was this sort of burst of energy uh, from these women to want to do things, but they were so constrained by the societal views that the that, that women's place was to, to be in the, in the house, to entertain to marry, and there's an, uh, sort of other, other speeches from the sisters there saying that you know that that you know that they think that they would be happy to just be married and uh, and to, to you know to continue in that way. But um, but but they were way ahead of their times, but they were unable to to break through the strictures that, that the society had. It's interesting because time. contemporaneous with Chekhov writing uh, the Three Sisters, Freud was uh, um, was articulating a number of his views, and one of the key planks. Uh, in terms of his his understanding of what made life fulfilling was was to work and to love, and uh, in the absence of uh, of one of those, life is always going to be of uh, uh, of quest- uh, questionable in terms of fulfillment. Yeah. Yes, it's very it's very interesting, and that it, it was it was a very interesting time. Uh, I think you know the, the, the turn of the twentieth century, but uh, and I think it's that uh, that the place of um, uh, art. Uh, in society is really undervalued and we 're witnessing it this now in in our country and I think that it would really pay the politicians and society to pay very close attention to what artists are saying because in this play Chekhov was able to predict he was basically predicting the Russian Revolution, which happened fourteen years later because uh, several characters in the play say that a great force is upon us and that one day everybody will work, everybody will work, because it's set in a provincial town where this, the, the, you know, the bourgeois are living. He's saying, we have to work, we have to understand that if we don't change our ways, there will be a cataclysm. And he predicted it to, you know, within 14 years and the revolution happened. And so I think the artists in our society 
are, are, are profits, and so art and art and science is you know is very closely related. I think the definition of work is an interesting one too, because one of the things that makes um, work valued is is having a society that values what you do. Perhaps contribution is a better word than work, because a lot of people, particularly women, and you know, have over the years found their contribution and their hard work hasn't been valued and hasn't been noticed and has been hidden and silent. And I think contribution may be a better way than I don't know because that, that would embrace both paid work and voluntary Absolutely. work. And, I think the way that you know, certainly Chekhov was referring to, you know, to work uh, was was in that way. So to do meaningful activity yeah, that yeah. contributes to society. So and have it that, valued, have it valued. Absolutely. Yeah. So Irina, at the, towards the end of the play, says, oh, I, you know, she's tried to be a telegraph officer. She's tried to be a teacher. She says, I can't, I can't do this. You know, work without poetry, I cannot do it. And so I, I think that the work without poetry is work without meaning. So, Joseph, uh, tell us about uh, people who are uh, uh, keen on coming to watch you in this play. Uh, when does it start and whereabouts? So it's uh, at, the, at, the, at the Old Mechanics Hall, uh, the corner of uh, Sydney Road and Brunswick Road. Um, and uh, it's, uh, it's at the, the, the Metanoia Theatre Company who's, who's, uh, in a, who's producing this play and my friend Greg Ulfan who's directing it. And uh, he's, he's doing a fantastic job, you know, drilling through the turn of the 20th century text to make it uh, uh, meaningful to, to, to our society that we live in now. And uh, so people get tickets? They can get tickets online um, at, 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 at Metanoia Theatre. And, uh, and Metanoia, you spell? Uh, M-E-T-A-N-O-I-A. Okay. Okay, so uh, two things for you to remember out there. So uh, we've got Empower and uh, and Homey and uh, uh, with Homey and uh, and Metanoia Theatre Company. So uh, um, uh, thank you very much for coming in, Joseph, and uh, and sharing your insights uh, on Chekhov. So Three Sisters, and it starts on October twenty sixth. Is that right? Correct. Okay, so that's this week. So um, uh, uh, something else for you to put into your diaries. <laughs> Triple R. I was reading an inter- very interesting article um, from one of my favorite papers that I read, which is Haaretz, which is an Israeli left-wing newspaper, um, mainstream, um, uh, by uh, a journalist called Hemi Shalev, who um, who is talking about the, the issue of toxic leadership and uh, having uh, um, quoting extensively from uh, Professor Jean Lipman Blumen, who's from uh, Claremont University in California. She wrote a book in 2004 called The Allure of Toxic Leaders, Why We Follow Destructive Bosses and Corrupt Politicians and How Can We Survive Them. Um, and uh, it's, uh, it's very, very timely. Now, she, her theoretical model of what makes a toxic leader sounds as if it was written for uh, for Trump. Um, and there, we we do see toxic rulers in business, in the army, in politics, and uh, what they get there by recognizing um, basic needs and basic fears. That's what she says, and uh, they feed on them and they foster them among their followers, and uh, and they're motivated by all the wrong things. You would hope that politicians are motivated by altruism, by a desire to make society better. And we've been hearing this morning, particularly from Ellen, about uh, about making society better. Well, these toxic leaders are motivated by ambition, by arrogance, by 
avarice, a desire for power, and by uh, a need to to meet their own narcissistic requirements. And their behavior is destructive, they've got dysfunctional personalities, and they create serious and enduring harm. And uh, it's not just the harm that is created at that time, it's what they leave behind. It's this toxic legacy. And uh, I think people are irrespective of of what happens on i think it's november the 8th the election um people are very very concerned i mean people are terrified uh, about what might happen if trump wins but there's this increasing sense of dread about uh what might happen if trump loses where he's um he's, he's essentially trashed the democratic process by saying that um he may not accept the result and all of these, the very, very large numbers still of American people who are in fact supporting him, um, uh, and uh, which, which is, uh, to my mind, quite astonishing. So um, uh, we we can see that that even though he he cannot cope with the increasingly like increasingly likely prospect of defeat. Um, what he's doing is he's sowing a sense of desolation and destruction. And uh, um, so he doesn't there's – there's no acceptance of any of the criticism that has been mounted against him. So um, the, the incriminating recording uncovered by the Washington Post, the testimonies of the female victims – I just read this morning that he's now going to sue every single one of the women – who have alleged that he has behaved inappropriately towards them, that he has touched them inappropriately, that he has... Um, uh, I mean, it is... Uh, anabolics? There's a, a lovely letter that was made public, written by the New York Times, I believe, or maybe the New Yorker, I'm not sure. He, one of the magazines that he decided to sue because of their uncovering of some of, and presenting of some of these women. And the lawyer for the organisation wrote a public letter saying, essentially, bring it on because you've got to prove damage to your reputation and we have in power possession a tape that, <laughs> that you made that said you like to do all these things and you grope women. Uh, so we would love to hear in court how we have brought your reputation down. Exactly. Go for it. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so he's doing that, but he's also um, uh, he's he he's torching American politics and setting uh, what Shalev says is a light to U.S. democracy. The U- U.S. democracy. Um, he's he's during the 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 candidates' debates w- where he was actually um, competing against the other Republican nominees, he hypnotized many Republicans by pouring fuel on simmering feelings of neglect and resentment, hate, racism, and this uh, the widespread belief in conspiracy theories. I mean, mm-hmm. if you actually listen to the, I mean, particularly in the second and the third debates, the this underlying sense of there being a conspiracy, a global conspiracy of powerful forces uh, aligned to to steal this um, this victory from from his grasp and uh, and egging his supporters on. This is uh, we've heard it, it before, haven't we've we? We've heard it before. It's it's very very similar to what was said in Germany in the 1930s, and that is incredibly concerning. And uh, and there is this almost this this 
well, it's not. It's a none too subtle encouragement towards violence. So um, locking up Hillary um, if uh, if he gets into power, which completely um, goes against all of the uh, of the basic tenets of of American democracy, and uh, and basically encouraging his rivals to take the law in his 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 followers to take the law into their um, into their own hands. Um, so he's not sticking to the issues. He's not engaging with uh, with Clinton on alternative policies. Um, he's um, accusing um, uh, uh, Clinton, the Democrats, the media, um, all of those who oppose him of being involved in, in the greatest conspiracy of all time. Um, how this conspiracy has actually, um, um, how it has actually come to fruition, there's no... There's no uh, explanation. It's just it's a given, and his support is accepted. And what is what's been quite astonishing for me is is some otherwise intelligent people and uh, w- women who say, "Well, you know, he's not. We're not uh, electing the Pope here," as though they can, as though as though you can uh, accept some of the things that he's said and done. It, 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 it defies belief, and yet it's happening. A lot, a lot of people, of course, who are on TV, we're seeing are his paid surrogates. You've got to take that in consideration, that many people who are, t- are on the news programs that are getting at high profile are paid by him. They're not dumb. Yeah. So, but I think uh, you only need uh, a spark in a tinderbox sometimes to make a lot of people move, a social movement. And we've seen this before where the spark has been uh, xenophobia, conspiracy theories, uh, and uh, attack on our privilege. Um, and, and that's been when, often when people, are in, a lot of people are in impoverished conditions, post, like we saw it post depression in Europe, um, where there was a, nu- a number of people, a number of young men particularly, who felt they had been humiliated, they had no role, no job. And they were desperate to regain their sense of, uh, if you like, uh, privilege or standing. And so a spark in the tinderbox there was, you know what, it's not your fault. You're not losers. You're not, you know, not you. There's there's this other group that's causing the problem. And it's the same language we're hearing from Trump. To the, to the, he, he stood up and said, I love the poorly educated, he said. I love the poorly educated. I'm, I'm, I'm doing well with the poorly educated. And there's he's, he's quite happily trading on the fact that a lot of people who've been been the victim, if you like, of enormous wealth inequality and stasis of job opportunity, stasis of, of salary over the last 10 years, are looking to see why. Why can't I get a job? What's wrong? What, why, why am I not able to afford a house? Why have I lost my standing in the community? Why can't we go back to where everybody had a job in the local coal mine or local steel producing? And he's, this, is a, this is a spark in the tinderbox. I'm, I'm telling you why. I, I've got the answer. It's them. It's not you. you. You come with me. I'll be your voice, he says, and, and we'll prove that it's not you. You can be happy and self have your self-esteem restored by believing in me. So they don't need proof. It's music. It's music to the ears of somebody who actually is in a position where they're very vulnerable to that sort of message, and they come on board so yeah, strongly. And, and, and as we've seen so many times historically, I mean, there are simple solutions to complex problems. The only difficulty with those simple solutions is that they're always wrong. Yes, right. uh, uh, complex problems need complex solutions. You know, we 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 heard earlier about you know homelessness, for example, doesn't happen by accident. There's always there's a story. There's a backstory. There are reasons why why we see the social issues which confront us. There are complex 
global and uh, and local reasons why businesses fail, why people lose jobs, and it needs thoughtful engagement with society to 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 move forwards and uh, <clears throat> and Lipman Blumen who who wrote this book on toxic leadership she doesn't absolve the public of responsibility no. because we've all got responsibility i think the media has has played into this trump phenomenon by um being blown away by by the fact that he's he's fascinating that he's in some respects charismatic so so um, he's much more newsworthy you know you, the, the 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 bites that you get from him are much more interesting than those that you get from uh, from hillary clinton but she says that um uh that Leaders followers who select and elect toxic leaders and then suffer the consequences must step forward to, to rid the, um, um, the society of the dangerous captains that they have elected. Um, she says um, uh, it's, it's a terrible thing that charisma is the, the um, chief prerequisite for leadership these days. She, she commented when interviewed, don't talk to me about charisma. Talk to me about character, about honesty, integrity, about putting the needs of the group in front of the leaders. Um, and uh, if, you, if you look at, uh, at Trump, all of this is about him. It's all about him. It's all about servicing uh, his needs and uh, and he has every single thing that he's done like uh, like so many psychopaths is about leaving uh, a trail of destruction behind and god help us and i think there's no accident either that his uh, by far the biggest base that he's encouraged is the um uh, ma- young male group and uh, he's doing very well with young males he's doing very poorly with uh, educated females and older females and, and females in general and it's no surprise that he's running against a female uh, nominee for the Democratic Party because there is inherent in some of the the wish to go back to where things were is I think a, a wish to go back to where gender roles were uh, in the 50s and the 60s in America that things have gone too far we've had not only we've had a black president now we're going to have a woman president and there is a backlash and I think it's no surprise that he's uh, with his view on women is able to kind of be a touchstone for this as well because his his uh, comments about women his his behavior his history his form is quite repellent and it's no surprise that uh, a young a lot of young men who support him would would share those views would share that uh, sexism and would see his downplaying it and normalizing of it it's just how we talk it's locker room it's fine you know you don't have to worry if you think like that too because i think like that as well and it's very scary that some of the Sexism in, in this is very scary to me. Yeah, and, and I carry a great sense of concern about... Uh, let, let's assume that, uh, that he loses the election. Uh, uh, 40 million Americans uh, who support him, that, uh, uh, that, um, that rump who support him, or as Hillary called, the, the basket of deplorables, um, uh, th- they're going to, in many respects, feel empowered by... Uh, by him, they're going to feel as though the uh, that which was rightfully their, theirs has been stolen by this unnamed conspiracy. And uh, um, what what are the, what are they going to do? What is that? What effect is that going to have on civil society in the United States? And uh, and what sort of example 
will that uh, will that give to 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 the rest of us? Of course, the most the most resoundingly wonderful thing that happened last week was by a black female, which was Michelle Obama's speech. Did you have a chance to hear yeah, that? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Uh, and this is, of course, just the word. Now he's actually turned his um, turned his vitriol towards Michelle Obama this this last week. He's by by bringing things out against her, digging things up from the past. It's it's completely predictable and it's completely targeted and it's terrifying, you know, because it's it, there is an aspect of this which is very much his, um, m- you know, machismo uh, view of women and. I, I think you're right. He, he's not going to go away quietly. He's, if he loses this, he's going to have a narcissistic wound the size of the Pacific Ocean and it ha- it's going to have to be filled somehow. People talk about him setting up his own news network. Have you heard anything about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he's, uh, um, he's already selected uh, a, a, a young, I can't remember the name of the guy, but uh, a young Tea Party aficionado who's, uh, who's very, very politically astute. And uh, you can just imagine... Um, the airwaves being flooded with this uh, mm. um, this right wing conspiratorial stuff. So it's going it, to make Fox look like the Guardian. Exactly, exactly. So it's it's uh, it, it's very concerning, and uh, let's hope uh, that uh, sanity prevails. Although I'm concerned that uh, that what's been unleashed from you know the genie is out of the bottle, and uh, it's very very hard to uh, to put stuff back in. So. So on that cheerful note, um, we're going to wrap things up here shortly. But uh, um, I would encourage um, people, if you do get a chance, Man Up, which is on ABC. You can uh, get that, uh, I think, on on iView as well. Uh, And uh, there's also that uh, the play that uh, we had Joseph Sherman in here. So that's at uh, the Mechanic. Uh, Mechanics Institute in Brunswick uh, and uh, um, that's Chekhov's Three Sisters and uh, uh, and Empower Hour which is uh, part of Homey we've been privileged uh, to have uh, a young and uh, enthusiastic and optimistic uh, <laughs> Ellen Jacobson here in the studio today so uh, Anabolics thank you so much for uh, for sharing with me this morning Ellen thank you. Uh, lovely to have you in on the show Thanks and uh, of course the wonderful Cantus Maximus who uh, who enables things to travel smoothly in here. So we're going to hand over to the scientists and uh, thank you very much for being with us here on Radiotherapy. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.